So I think as of right now, uh, Avengers Endgame has made $16 trillion. <laughs> has it? Has in it? this part of the universe. In this part. That's right. In this part of the, uh, the non-Marvel universe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a monster. The question I have, and I, uh, on radio, on Film Week just last uh, couple days ago, uh, I predicted it would go... I don't think I said this on the air. I think I said this afterwards to Larry and to Amy, but uh, I think it's going to go over $3 billion. Oh, really? I do. Worldwide. You know, worldwide. Avatar is at 2.7. Uh, Star Wars Force Awakens is like 2.3. I don't see how there's any conceivable way that this doesn't blow right past both of those. You know, uh, it's time. It's uh, time. Look, I, 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 won't, I won't disagree. The only thing that might hurt it a little bit is that three-hour, 40.5-second running time simply because it it, it limits the number of times you can actually show it in a 24-hour Except you know how they're getting around that. You've seen seen the big boards at places like the Arclight. It's ridiculous. They've dedicated every screen to it. Well, yeah. yeah. That's that's just cheating. That's just cheating. Well, and it's also because, you know, you you think, my goodness, you've got 22 screens and 21 of them are showing Avengers and the only one that isn't is showing Captain Marvel for people who need that last-minute refresher. We're like, oh, crap, I didn't see Captain Marvel. Okay, I'll go in there and see it, and then I'll come right out and see, you know, Endgame. Uh, the yeah, it, it's because everything else is just cleared out. It's clear they've cleared a wide berth. Nothing well, they got, else. They got Shazam out a couple of weeks uh, it's ahead, played out, though. so it could do its numbers and, yeah. and get out of the way. It's not, it's not losing any money to this. No, no. Uh, it, 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 it made its money, and now it's out of there. You know, Hellboy. You know, sorry no, guys, that's no. just you know that just didn't happen. And there's nothing else big opening for for several. Everyone really just wants to give it a wide berth. Yeah, they yeah. they don't they they know they can't. I mean, and Disney's clogged up all the screens anyhow, so nobody has any any chance to sort of sneak in there um I, and i think i think week after next by the third week those screens will start getting released but it's still it's by then i think it's going to be i think it's going to be well over two billion after after just two weeks yeah and then it's just i mean it could it, it, it's easily going to go over three billion i don't see how it doesn't now we're not going to give up any spoilers regarding None. i mean it's been out well, there for a minute you, but you, i will I say can't this even, about it i like we yeah. both like this movie yes we do we both like this movie more or less for the same reasons and and, and i mean uh, yeah. the, the thing that we really like about it yeah. now um i think it's fair we can say this I, i'll say this I'm, I'm 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 warm and cold on these marvel movies mm-hmm. the good ones are good and the other ones are not stinky <laughs> yeah so so i'm not one of these people who are just gonna love this movie just gonna love this movie so for me to say that i like this movie a lot yep uh and this movie made me cry three times i'm five uh, or six for me you know uh it, it, even while i still think it's too long i i i i, I still think it's too this is this one disagreement sure. that you and i have yeah. about it um, but the very fact that I like this movie a lot, I, I think, really speaks well of it. Yeah. You know, really, if, if, I'm not inclined, folks, uh, the, to, to be in this spot. The thing that I, the thing that I find most satisfying about it, and we have to remember that the uh, that the the uh, screenwriters of this started on the Chronicles of Narnia movies, and they are uh, they they're returning to that a little bit. In this, they they're, they're they didn't begin as action guys, right? Yeah. And we're talking about uh, McFeely and Marcus, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They didn't start as action guys. They started as emotional story, story telling guys. Narrative you know, things, yeah. um, Narnia the Narnia films are not all about you know CGI battles and monsters. They're they're actually very you know they're character. Films, they're, yeah. They're, yeah. Those are those are allegories that were that were written with a very clear kind of spiritual intent by C.S. Lewis. 
So they, they bring all of that to this, and Endgame differs radically from Infinity War in that it's a completely different kind of film. Infinity War sets it up, but Infinity War is wall-to-wall action. Hmm. It is wall-to-wall action building to an apocalyptic moment where all of that action has been futile. Mm-hmm. And if you're a normal Hollywood tentpole person, well, you turn this into a big old revenge movie. Yeah. It's like, all right, now we put it together and we get get hopped up into a time machine, go back in time, and we kick Thanos' ass in the big, big old battle that lasts like 50 minutes, and then woohoo, p- fist pumping time. Yeah, you literally but, make it, you make the Empire uh, Strikes Back, yeah. Revenge of the Jedi. Sure. And, and that is exactly what this film would have been in the hands of anybody else. But Kevin Feige who on Friday on the radio I called the the first executive auteur in movie history, um, he knows that's not what this is about. He is faithful to the comic tradition, and this thing winds up being, to the credit of Feige and to to the screenwriters, uh, Marcus and McFeely, it winds up being thoughtful, reflective, mm-hmm. meditative, philosophical. Sure, it's got action, but it winds up actually having all of these very, very deep moments in it. And the best moments in that movie... Are, are when two actors are just sitting in a room talking to each other about something meaningful. Yeah. And there's no CGI and there's no nothing. It's just it's really it's it's quite impressive. Well, a film about family, a film full of love stories. <sighs> this is the thing that gets me. I, yeah. Anybody who listens to the show or listens to me on the radio know that I love a good love story. Yeah. Father, son, uh, son, there daughter. There are uh, just love stories there, all over the place. There are dad moments all over this thing. Tons yeah. of dad moments, and I'm a dad, and every time there was a dad moment, I just started crying. I just started crying almost uncontrollably. Yeah, and and by dad moments, it's not always just a, 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 a Tony Stark and Spider. Yeah, boy, no, boy, yeah. really, it's Spider Boy is yeah. is what he is. That's his dad. Sure, that's a uh, surrogate dad moment. You know, and yeah. then and then there's him and his dad. Yeah, uh, and, and, they're, and they're all they're all kinds of really really just great lines in it and yeah it is it is about family on many levels it's about the individual families of the avengers it's about the avengers as a family mm-hmm. it's about humanity as a family it's about the it's about the the family of fans mm-hmm. who love the the marvel films it's about the family of the filmmaking community i mean there are a lot of levels to what it says about family and I just uh, I have a think piece I'm gonna I'm gonna put up on cinegods.com that I'm working out the details of. Yeah, but I yeah. think uh, there's a lot to say about this. And um, here's another question: Do you think, given now that Black Panther got us over the hump, and it was first Logan, Logan got us over the hump of you know what you can give a major Oscar nomination to a superhero movie, it's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So they gave it a screenplay nomination, and then Black Panther said, you know what, it's okay. You can nominate us a, a superhero movie for best picture. Mm-hmm. You missed it with the Dark Knight. Here's your second chance. Feel better now? Mm-hmm. Now that you got it out of your system, are you okay? So now that we're over that hump, is this going to get nominated for Best Picture next year? It, 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 very likely. Very, very, very I likely. I think so, too. What, what's interesting, though, it will not get a Best Director's nomination. It's going to get nominated for Best Picture, but those boys, the Russo brothers. Just like Black Panther. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's what's going to that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. They're not going to give enough credit for that. Screenplay is the one that it ought to get nominated yeah, for. Yeah, I agree. That, so, I mean, in turn, it's because the thing of this, a lot of movies are going to come out between now and then. I doubt that it would win Best Picture. No, uh, um, I don't um, see that. So, but but I could I could I I would be very happy if it won Best Screenplay. Yeah, it's just too. some beautiful writing. It's just it's some, some beautiful some really, writing in that movie. Some really good writing. And structurally, too, 
they they do some things, and and I really hope that all of these 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 whorish individuals who have been you know peddling the three act structure and the yeah. this and the that and the other thing. I, I really would love for people to analyze in film schools and in and in screenwriting uh, clinics. I would love for them to analyze a screenplay because it breaks a lot of rules. It really does. It takes a lot of chances. And it breaks a lot of rules, and I'm I'm thrilled that it did. Um, let's talk just for a second about some of the people who uh, who were part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a moment mm-hmm. and are no longer now. <laughs> now, obviously, um, uh, the War Machine we were talking about yesterday mm. w- that that changed. It was Terrence uh, Howard. That was for Terrence Howard originally. Seconds, yeah. And he, he wanted too much money. I think after yeah. after Iron Man, he said, "You know, I'm part of this too. I want more money." I'm surprised they didn't sign him to more movies right out of the gate. But I yeah. guess they didn't know how Iron Man was going to do. Yeah. But uh, then Don Cheadle got the call. and Yeah, yeah. He was perfectly happy for whatever they were doing. Perfectly paying. happy. So uh, let's also talk about the original Thanos, which, ah, I, yes. which I brought that up with you yesterday. Very interesting. Yeah. Because there is an original Thanos, by the way. Yeah, folks. yeah. So the, the original Thanos was Damien Poitier before they cast Josh Brolin. And uh, if you remember that little tag at the end of the first Avengers where he kind of looks over his shoulder with a little with a smirk like, you know, I'm the man. And, and a lot of people, people who were not comic fans in that moment are like, who that? Who, what, <laughs> uh, what, what's going on here? I'm I don't, I'm confused. Some some guy with like a, a wrinkly chin and a blue skin. I don't get it. Uh, anyway, that was the first that we saw of Thanos. And uh, that was portrayed by Damien Poitier, who is a stuntman. Yeah. And uh, I think it's interesting. The original, uh, the original Thanos was a black dude. Yeah, you don't it, realize it, that. Damien, he runs, he runs around these movies. I went and looked him up. Yeah, he yeah. runs around all these movies. He's yeah. in, he's in. Uh, oh, he's one of the he, he's one of the top stuntmen in Hollywood. Yeah, he, he's yeah. he's a and and obviously you know they needed somebody and he he had the body and uh, the whole deal and it's like okay let's do a little mocap on you. You know, you're here. You're on. You're on salary. So, uh, Damien Poitier, the original Thanos. If you're a big uh, fan of the Flash television series, like we are, yeah, uh, he plays Goldflake based on Flash. That's right. Yeah. 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 You know, so talking up, talking up, Damien. Yeah. 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 Anyway, fun little bit of trivia there. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good stuff. So, um, so was it was it the was it the Guardians of the Galaxy or the original Avengers? Which was the one that had the Thanos tag on it? It might have been Guardians of the Galaxy. I, 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 no, I thought it. No, you you're right. It was Guardians of the Galaxy. It was Guardians. It was Guardians. It yeah. was Guardians. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, it's all good. It's all good. Funny, funny. So, uh, good stuff. So let's uh, let's kind of. Do we have anything anything else going on? We've had so many people have died too. Oh. A lot of a well, lot of, there's the situation with John Singleton. That is so so who, upsetting. At, uh, at, at the moment of this recording, he's in a coma, in a coma. after after having had a stroke. Age so of 51. Luke, Luke Perry thing all over Luke again. Perry, two, three months ago, whatever it was, yeah. also 50-something. Uh, you know, you and I joke about the dude. Our generation, these are our, this is, these are our I people. I know. And we're not holding up, uh, which is nuts. My, my mother, who's uh, approximately 175 years old, <laughs> uh, still works full-time, walks yeah. to work every day. Yeah. Every day. That's why. And uh, and uh, as it happens, I, I know um, John Singleton's mother, uh, Sheila Ward, who's played by Angela Bassett yeah. in that original movie, yeah. a lovely a lovely woman who lives not terribly far from here. Uh, and uh, at that time of this taping, she had gotten... She's uh, the uh, yeah, executor. Uh, executor, right. Yeah. She's executor, or, uh, yeah. So Just anyway, so, yeah. Uh, that's the thing. It's, it's interesting, John. John. Uh, so, so John basically did, for the West Coast, 
for West Coast filmmakers at the time, what Spike did for yeah. East Coast filmmakers in, yeah. the, in the middle 80s. So, you know, 91, Boys in the Hood, yeah. um, made that movie about South Central, about that community, about uh, the people from his own Youngest community. ever Oscar-nominated yeah. director. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, nominated for a screenplay that, 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 that year, too. That year, yeah. too. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and that, those first three or four films, and, and I'm, 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 I, I refuse to talk about him in the past tense. I'm not going to do it. No. Those first three or four films, Higher Learning, Poetic Justice, uh, Rosewood, were really, really powerful films. Not perfect yeah. films, but powerful films talking about all of these issues that were really, really, you know, he's a little bit younger than me, so it was really interesting sort of watching him go. And, uh, and then he went more commercial, the shafts, shafts. and the uh, yeah. hustle and flows. And, 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 and uh, he, he, did a, uh, he did one of the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, one of the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, not, not, not. Those are paydays, to, man. I don't take that away from anybody. Look, Spike did the exact opposite thing. Yeah. Now, um, but John built a little empire. Uh, uh, doing that stuff, commercial. So if you look at if you look up John Singleton's IMDb, look under the executive producer credits yeah. and blow your mind yeah. at how many uh, noted series and movies and everything else he, he had his fingers in. He had his fingers in all that. And stuff. was still and and we're you know we 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 certainly hope he makes a recovery. That there is something to be said for uh, for the power of medical science to uh, to take people out of these situations. But it it is it is grim at the moment and uh, I, I hope it doesn't go south but we we are prepared for okay. it so yeah. uh, very sad right. well let's uh, Shall let, we? let's get into it. I'm gonna make uh, to go through some kid vid here real quickly um, got a whole bunch of really interesting things for for the kids I have a daughter who is six years old in kindergarten and uh, the taste in kid vid is always changing <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Nature Cat. Nature Cat and Mr. Hyde. H-I-D-E. That's a PBS Kids thing. Um, we have, ne- you know, it's funny. Th- this is one of those shows that she'll see a little commercial for, a little little promo for and go, have I ever seen that? And obviously the answer is no. <laughs> and the intimation of that is maybe I should see that. Maybe you should show that to me. And uh, there, there just aren't enough hours in the day because uh, there is school. Yeah. But uh, Nature Cat, actually, like all the PBS kids stuff, is uh, is, is cute. Uh, it, it's it's not you know top tier, I wouldn't say, but uh, it's got some cute characters and you know the, it's it's educational and it's relatively well done. Uh, so I mean, I'm not uh, don't yeah 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 why not sure. Uh, Twenty Incredible Tales. Features over four hours of fun, also from PBS Kids. This is one of those potpourri things. It just combines a lot of different stuff together. Super Y and Wild Kratts, and there is a nature cat on here. Dinosaur Train, Daniel Tiger, Caillou Arthur, Ready Jet Go, Peg Plus Cat, Odd Squad, Word World. It's all on here. Uh, Just a whole bunch of stuff. This is basically to put on, let it run, and keep your kid occupied. The Super Y stuff is always really, really good. But what I like about this is it gives you a sampling of what's out there in PBS Kids. Mm. It's not expensive. If you just want something to sort of keep the kids busy and to see what they respond to, it's a great sampler. That way you're not spending money on a whole bottle, a whole lot of different things. Um, the Highway Rat uh, is based on this very, very popular children's book, which we don't have, and we have a lot of them. Um, but this is, uh, the, the Highway Rat is from the, uh, the same, um, from Julia Donaldson, uh, and, uh, illustrator Alex Scheffler, who did, you know, the Gruffalo and Room on the Broom and a lot of these other ones. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of the few of the, uh, Julia Robertson, uh, Ju- sorry, Julia Donaldson books that we do need to get. Uh, the, th- this is animated by the same people that did the animation version of Room on the Broom. I would say it doesn't substitute for the book. 
but it's a nice compliment to the book. And uh, it's it's you know it's decent animation. It's a very clever and cute story. And uh, but I'm not gonna. I'm, I wouldn't recommend anybody show this to a kid until you've read them the book because the book is the magic. And then this is sort of like a like a cherry on top. Uh, so we need to get the book, and then I will show my daughter the Highway Rat. But it is uh, it's actually quite clever and very very smart. And uh, I can watch this without having read the book because hmm. I'm a grown up. <laughs> Tim has something surgical on the television behind him right now, and I'm a little bit creeped out. <laughs> I just saw some. I, oh, see, that's oh, I'm, oh, oh that's, that's, it's, it's, I'll tell you about it later. Okay, boy, that distracted me. The Adventures of Jurassic Pet. Um, this is one. It has one of those Dove approved deals, and all I could think is this is kind of like a, a lowbrow version of ET crossed with Night at the Museum. And I don't, like, really much care for this. Uh, it's basically, this is a live-action movie. It's from Grindstone, who, of course, as we, as we pointed out many times, Grindstone is an independent production company that has a deal with Lionsgate to furnish them two kinds of films. Big, dumb, R-rated action movies that usually have Bruce Willis or, or Antonio Banderas in them. Mm -hmm. And then movies, uh, family films about talking animals. Strangest thing. Strangest combination. It is, right? It's just uh, Alpha and, 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 or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, the whole, the, the yeah. yin, yin and yang is mm, what it is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Grindstone did the uh, Adventures of Jurassic Pet. And the idea here is a live action film about this teenager who um, comes across what he thinks is just like a souvenir egg of some kind. And guess what? It's actually a T-Rex egg, and he winds up being, you know, daddy to a little baby T-Rex. Yeah. It's just the strangest thing in the world. A movie about a boy and his T-Rex. It's It really doesn't work in any way whatsoever. Um, but, you know, power to Grindstone for thinking that they can. <laughs> Uh, some more from PBS Kid here. Uh, PBS Kids has Wild Kratts, the Briny Blue Sea, which is, uh, you know, Wild Kratts is one of the less interesting but more educational. I guess those things kind of go hand in hand. Yes, you do learn a lot about the ocean and animals and stuff here, and, and especially otters. But uh, the uh, I, I can't say that I get super super excited about this. Uh, it's a little bit like Dinosaur Train, you know. It's it combines educational and uh, and animation in the same way. Uh, Ready Jet Go, Chasing the Sun. Not a big fan of this, but uh, this has eight different episodes, and there are kids that really really love this. And uh, this is this is all kind of astronomy education and solar system education, a little bit more kind of general science stuff. You learn about sunspots and. Uh, you know, uh, the, the sun and orbits and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's okay. It, it's manageable. I can tolerate it. Uh, we also have from the Cartoon Network, uh, Craig of the Creek, Itch to Explore. This has never been on DVD before, and uh, there are about 13 different episodes here. This is season one, part one. I wish they would do the whole season all at once so that people don't have to suffer through that splitting up stuff. But uh, you know this is uh, this is okay. It's not exactly educational. It's just about you know kids and exploring, and it's kind of uh, fantasy, wish fulfillment stuff. Um, it's okay. It's 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 a nice bunch of kids. I want to say it's a little bit in the vein of Rugrats slash Fat Albert, in that it could, puts a bunch of kids together, and you fall kind of fall in love with the the personalities and the relationships. Uh, it's somewhere in there, and and it, it's okay. Um, 
Well, getting to some uh, Nickelodeon stuff now. The Nickelodeon stuff continues, in my opinion, to be some of the best uh, kid vid on television. And that does not necessarily include this latest, very aggressively animated Mutant Ninja Turtles series. This is Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which has a really raw, aggressive, uh, unusual, Ren and Stimpy-ish kind of style to it. Maybe a little bit more like some of the stuff that Disney on the Disney Channel was doing, Kim Possible and stuff like that. Um, taking a little bit of a cue from, uh, from Pokemon, maybe. Um, this one is... It's a little bit too aggressively animated for my taste, but uh, there are you know, seven episodes here, Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for people who enjoy that. But here's the good uh, Nickelodeon stuff. So Top Wing is delightful. Uh, this is Excellent Missions, E-G-G, Excellent. Mm. little pun there. <laughs> and these are just cute little birds. Uh, these things are so much better than... Um, uh, Angry Birds, you know, they tried to take the Angry Birds game and turn oh, it into yes. a movie, oh, and that was what horrendous. A mess that was. Ugh. Eight different episodes here, and they're all really, really fun. These guys are cute, and the animation is fun, and the writing is sharp, and uh, I think this is a fun discovery for kids. Uh, so, Top Wing gets a recommendation from me, as does Paw Patrol Ultimate Rescue. I'm not a big Paw Patrol fan generally because I have a daughter, but I know people who have little boys who love this thing, and it's great for them. Uh, so this is five episodes of um, of, of uh, Paw Patrol. And, uh, you know, little boys, I mean, I'm sure there are some little girls that love Paw Patrol. Mine just doesn't happen to be one of them. But uh, it's still, it's really, really fun. It's very, very cute for kids who do enjoy it. And then my favorite of all, you know what? Uh, I Shimmer and Shine are just the best. Now, this is a uh, this is a combination like the twenty different one for PBS Kids. This is called Meet the Baby Animals. So there there's a little bit of everything here, but the best of them is Shimmer and Shine. Um, you get a you get a Bubble Guppies on here, which is kind of like Shimmer and Shine with little mer people underneath the sea. You get a couple of Paw Patrols, uh, and you get a Blaze in the Monster Machines episode called Spark Plug, which is cute. But there are two episodes of Shimmer and Shine on here that are a total and complete delight. Uh, a Lightning Colt for Shia and a Special Delivery. Uh, Shimmer and Shine is a really, really sweet show. I love the little genies. Maybe I'm thinking about little Barbara Edens. Possibly. But so what? <laughs> that's that's your problem, not mine. Uh, not my problem. I don't, to, I don't see if there's a problem. I don't even see the problem. Uh, a, a, a couple of um, uh, from um, uh, LGBT cinema uh, before we press on to the new business. Yeah, a little bit there. Sunburn, a uh, lovely movie by Vincent Alves Doe, um, uh, who's building quite a canon of sort of um, uh, gay cinema. Uh, generally speaking, sort of dramas uh, built around a whole bunch of different sort of wacky relationships. This particular one uh, is set out in the desert. Um, uh, it's four friends uh, hanging out. They get a phone call. The phone call is from uh, an ex of one of them from 10 years ago. Oh. And they want to come to dinner. Uh, that's uh, never a good that's sign. That's never a good sign. But, you know, it, it makes for an interesting sort of movie. This is, this, it, you know, it's, 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 it's a fairly smart and sexy little film, Portuguese with English uh, subtitles. Uh, Guido Offline, this is just a lovely little movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's really about this little boy. It's about the little boy uh, and his father. Uh, his father picks him up, takes him out to the country where there's no internet service and no cell phone service, and this kid is going bananas. He has a crush on a girl back home. Uh, he, 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 he just wants to be on his phone and do his thing. And then he starts to realize that, that the guy that his dad is with 
seems to be kind of like his boyfriend. Oh no! And 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 he has to sort of sort all that the, that stuff out. It's you know it's an interesting little film. That's that, an interesting premise. It's an interesting premise. So yeah. like, how do you how do you you know you you, you break yeah. a kid in? Look, dad's gay. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's go out to the woods and talk about it. Anyway, um, this also includes uh, another film called. Midnights with Adam, which is a short film that's made by the same filmmaker. Lovely nice. stuff. All right. Uh, some new biz? Let's do the new biz. Yeah, I got all kinds of new stuff here. Uh, oh, Ameri- actually, you do Destroyer because oh, I know about yeah. you because we all talked right. about her, Karen. Destroyer. We're, we're getting, so now we're in a little bit thin zone, just so everybody knows. By the time we get into April and May, it's a little thinsville because we're getting the stuff that was released in uh, theatrically in January and February, which mm-hmm. as everybody knows is just horrendous. So we've kind of played out all of the Oscar season end of year stuff, but there are a few still trickling out, and one of them is Destroyer uh, from Karin Kusama. Karin Kusama, originally the uh, director of Girl Fight. That was her big breakthrough. Great yeah. story with Girl Fight, yeah. too, because she was John Sayles' assistant, wrote that script, and John Sayles, being unlike anybody else in Hollywood, did not say, you're my assistant. What the hell are you doing writing? Don't you know your place? Mm. He said... I love this. Why don't you let me finance your directing debut so you don't have to be my assistant anymore? Yeah. It's unheard of in this it's town. It's just, dude, it's just, you know. <laughs> it's unheard of. And John Sales financed it and saw a pretty penny off it and elevated Karin Kusama to the wonderful it career. It made Michelle Rodriguez's career. It did. Uh, you know, that's, that's, two, right. that's, that's 2000. That's uh, almost 19 years ago. Yeah. Uh, all of that. And Karen. Um, uh, uh, look again, look her up. She works all the time. She did the first Aeon Flux, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, just in, tell, it just works all the time. That's Dest- a pretty good movie, too. The Destroyer is a really good film. The only problem I have with it is, is uh, Nicole Kidman's makeup, which is which was clearly designed to make her as, as repulsive as possible, mm, yeah. so we forget that she's uh, Nicole Kidman. But it's a really gr- they made this for less than 10 million dollars, I think it was like seven million dollars they spent on this, and it is a really tough kind of Sidney Lumet-style, 70s-era police uh, action thriller drama. It's really right in that kind of Serpico-y vein. Yeah. And it's about a woman, a detective, uh, a really grizzled um, detective played by Nicole Kidman who's been through hell, who has a drinking problem. She, like, wakes up in her car. Uh, you know, this is not your your let's go into the station and uh, be careful out there today kind of detective. She's, she's a, a dark... A detective with a chip on her shoulder and a history. And then there, the question is, how did it get to this? And what are the events that transpired? And I won't fill in any of this because it takes a lot of really interesting narrative risks. Uh, the script was co-written by her husband, uh, as, as all of Karin Kusama's stuff tends to be. And they, they did a great job. It's a sharp script. It's a really interesting um, approach to the crime thriller, and I I think uh, it's beautifully directed, and I can't wait for Karin Kusama to keep doing more great work. Uh, Nicole Kidman in Destroyer, it's on Blu-ray, uh, with a movie's Anywhere code on it, and uh, some other great supporting performances in here, just uh, top-notch all yeah. the way. It's a really stuff. good film. Good stuff. Uh, American Dresser. Uh, this is the kind of film that when I when I when I read off the name Tom of the Berenger. guys, Tom Berenger, Keith David, Gina Gasson, Penelope yeah. Ann Miller, Jeff Fahey, Bruce Dern, you know, all big names at a time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, this, this, they're looking good and they're doing good work in this sort of a, a sort of a poignant and sweet film. It's about an old Vietnam vet uh, played by Behringer. 
whose wife passes away. He's estranged from his daughters. So he and his buddy, played by Keith David, jump on their motorcycles, jump on their Harleys like these old guys do, and they decide to ride from Long Island, uh, New York, all the way out to the West Coast. Yep. So we're just in a road trip movie, man. Uh, we're in a motorcycle road trip movie, just like uh, yeah, 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 we, uh, Jack Nicholson and those guys back Sure. Then. Yeah, they, one of those. You know, it's just sweet with these two old, old vets uh, making their way across America, acting their asses off, by the way. It's just, a, just really good in that way. It's on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, a couple of prom- promotional spots on it as well. It's just, you know, Tom Berenger, man. Hadn't thought about him in years. Uh, yeah. And uh, just can't go wrong with Keith David. Ever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, anyway. you, you can't. One of the great all-time voices, too. Uh, let's see. Mission yeah. of Honor. This is an interesting story here. Um, this is the story uh, set during World War II about Polish um, RAF fighters, a squadron called the Hurricane Squadron, 303. This is a real squadron of wow. Polish um, uh, fighter pilots. And basically what they were doing, obviously Poland was crushed fairly quickly uh, uh, by the by the uh, Germans when they came in. Poland had only been a country for about 20 years uh, before it was overrun by Germany. That's true. So That's what, right. what was really going on here is that these Polish RAF fighters were kind of fighting to maintain the notion that there was a country called Poland because it, it could have very easily went away. Yeah. And there could have just been, you know, once there was this – but, you know, they, they were fighting for that to maintain the notion that there is a nation called Poland. Yeah. And it will be bad. bad. And it's really just a moving and poignant story about this about this squadron, uh, the Hurricane Squadron. This is on uh, Blu-ray. So many so many World War II stories t- still to come. That, that, that war created so many stories. Yeah. It's no because it, it, it was, in fact, the World War, you know, yeah. all over the place. So um, the idea of changelings and fairies continues to permeate Irish uh, folklore, has for forever. There are a whole bunch of movies that, 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 that have dealt with this, and they come out every so often. And The Hole in the Ground is another one of them. Um, this, is, this is pretty decent stuff. Uh, this is from Lionsgate. It's only on DVD, not on Blu-ray. But it's if you like that whole kind of uh, Celtic um, folkloric horror genre, you will probably thoroughly enjoy this. Uh, it is this is about a, um, a a single mom and her son. They go to this. Uh, they they've just moved to a new place in the pastoral Irish countryside. And as anybody who knows anything about Ireland, you don't want to take your children into the countryside because it's filled with fairies and they're going to kidnap your kid. It's just what happens in Ireland all the time, right? Mm-hmm. See? And uh, sure enough, you know, suddenly she begins to think that, uh, you know, when her son comes back after being missing, that's not my son anymore. What's going on here? And so begins the odyssey of trying to prove to everybody that your son isn't your son and your son is really some kind of a changeling and there are evil fairies or aliens or whatever you want to call them that are lurking in the woods somewhere. And uh, it's called The Hole in the Ground. And it is um, very well done. It's a genre film. It's straight up genre, but I I thought it was really sharp. Mm. Uh, and here's another one over here. Yeah, I mean, explain this to me. So this film dragged across the concrete, <laughs> Mark, right? Mark, Mel Gibson. Mark hates this. Film. <laughs> well, it's because it's terrible. Uh, uh, Mel Gibson. But this is the thing. These are movie stars. I know. Guys, Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn, uh, uh, Michael Jai White, Jennifer Carpenter. You know, what I mean, uh, uh, Thomas uh, Kreshman, Don Johnson pops up yeah. in this movie. He's also in the the Brawl and Cell Block. 99, which was yeah. also a Vince. So, so what's going on here? 
Where have these guys gone? Where are the, what are these movies? This is this did not get a uh, theatrical release. I know. I didn't even know this existed until Mark saw it in Paris and he emailed us ah. and, and he was saying, "Oh, this film is terrible." And I was like, "What? What are you talking about? That Mel Gibson film with Vince Vaughn?" And I'm like, "Mel Gibson? What are you talking about? What do you? Yeah. What, what do you do? Do you live in an alternate universe? <laughs> what? What's going on?" He's like, "No." And 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 then I found out that this got a theatrical release in Europe. Like it's a major film and went nowhere here, which is totally unusual. Yeah, and this guy who directed uh, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, and the the Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine, yeah. which did get a theatrical release, which here. was in the running for our awards discussion. I mean, yeah. that that popped up every few minutes uh, for various categories. Yeah. Anyway, this movie is about a couple of cops. Uh, the old the old timer Mel Gibson, his yeah. partner Vince Vaughn. Uh, they get caught on video. Uh, you know, messing some people up pretty bad and get suspended. Yeah. It's a bad you know it's a bad scene. So they decide to go into the under. They, they they they're broke is what they are. Yeah. And they decide to go into the underworld to try to. Try to make some money, and they stumble across some stuff they weren't thinking they were going to stumble across. There was a time when films like this yep. uh, sort of worked yep. as theatrical releases. I think we may be past that here now. At best, I think these kind of films are going to be streaming movies. Yep. I'm almost certain of it. Yep, for sure. So here we got uh, one that got – this was one of the films that got released early part of the year. Uh, I covered this on radio at the time, and it was um, one of the more competent but still not terribly good uh, early January releases. You know, crap usually comes out in January. So you're always surprised when something is competent. Adam Robitel directed Escape Room, and really the best thing about it is the direction. There's some very, very clever and sharp direction in this thing. I like that the young lady. I her she's in she's in our favorite uh, Taylor Russell. Taylor Russell from Taylor Lost Russell. In Space. That's right. Yeah, 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 nuts about her. So here's the thing about uh, Escape Room. So Escape Room, I didn't even know these things existed. There are apparently for for the idle rich uh, or for even just the idle millennial gamesters. If you get sick and tired of your video games, you can go to a thing called an escape room. Which is some kind of a deal where you go with other people and it's like a live room video game. You're in this room and you have to escape and there are clues in the room. And you and everybody else have to figure out, you know, oh, is there a little note there? Maybe that's a clue. And you got to put it all together and you go through, you know, you you figure your, your way out of this. And there are these, this is a thing apparently. So somebody, of course, had a very smart idea and said, why don't we do... Uh, a horror movie called Escape Room, where it's a series of really elaborate escape rooms and people actually die, and it winds up being, you know, this, uh, it winds up being sort of like a, 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 a more elaborate version of Saw, mm. right? That's kind of what they were going for. Um, and um, the, the, it is an interesting conceit. Uh, there, was, there have been a number of independent films that, that go into this exact same place. One of them, relatively recently, was written by uh, James Gunn, the you know very controversial or hopefully not too controversial director of uh, the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. movies. And he wrote the Belko experiment in 2016, which is more or less the same kind of thing. It's not about an escape room, but it's about a bunch of people who work in an apartment or in a, an office building in Columbia or something. Mm-hmm. And then they find out that it's not really a thing. They're supposed to, you know... <laughs> do this um, uh, this Agatha Christie deal and start killing each other to see who actually survives. It's testing your primal instincts. So it's a little bit of saw. It's a little bit of and then there were none. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? It's all. It's that kind of uh, vibe going. So a bunch of people find themselves in an escape room because they think they're going to make some money, and they were all invited through some little uh, mysterious invitation. 
and next thing you know, it's a, it's a horrific survival test, and they go through a series of these different rooms that are all very elaborate and stranger and curiouser, and some emulate the outdoors and temperature changes, and there's ice, and it's all this stuff that could never conceivably be all rammed into a single building. You would literally be spending billions of dollars to, to create this kind of an elaborate torture uh, game. But anyway, it makes for a very competent film. Does the movie work? Not really. It's still kind of dumb, and the and the 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 big reveals are not very interesting. Uh, it's pretty boilerplate. But Robitel does a hell of a job directing it. It is logistically very very uh, impressive, and I think he's going to go on to much bigger things. Produced by Neil Moritz, who cranks a lot of this junk out on a regular basis. But what is really good is what Tim said. Two of the actresses in this are phenomenal. Taylor Russell is effectively the star. Uh, she plays Judy on the new Lost in Space, and she is wonderful. She's mm. a wonderful actress yeah. on that show, in this movie. Forget about how bad some of the other stuff in the movie is. And the other one here, another one of my favorite actresses from television, Deborah Ann Wall yeah. from Daredevil, yeah. who is just, I'm so just mad about her, I can't control it. Uh, so those two actresses, two of my favorite actresses, uh, new revelations oh, yeah. in the last few years. Yeah. Love them both. Which is but so it, funny because, you know, I've I become fairly jaded about all these sort of yeah. actor things. But every now and again, and it's usually an actress. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, every blue moon, yeah. an, an actor. But usually an actress who comes along and just, just pops my cork. It's just, you, you're, and there's you're two just of them. extraordinary. Yeah. And there's two of them here. And I love them both. So emotive. So this has Movies Anywhere code on it as well. You can uh, you can add that and forever watch uh, Escape Room and feel like you're trapped in an escape room. Also, deleted and extended scenes. Uh, alternate ending that is n completely negligible. There's no absolutely no reason that uh, they should have included it. It's just kind of a curiosity. Uh, and they actually uh, have some cast and crew stuff and, and a really, really interesting featurette on how the rooms were created, which is the thing that I found most interesting. Actually, more interesting than the movie. How the rooms were created, really one of the best featurettes I've seen in a long time. Mm. Uh, this is actually a fairly dastardly uh, little thriller here that kind of lives in the same yeah. zone as that Fortune Divide, uh, Defies Death. Um, is a film uh, about this family that's invited out to uh, the estate of their patriarch. He's been dead for 10 years, um, and they're finally going to read the will. Uh, a vast fortune is at stake, uh, but they have to sort of survive the gauntlet of this lawyer this, uh, who's, who's going to evaluate some things. The one thing that they're trying to find out specifically is what happened to the one adopted daughter of this guy that's been she dis she disappeared yeah. not long after he died. Uh, the question is is she is she going to show up and uh, and claim this fortune because she was the kid he actually liked. Anyway, it's a neat little sort of uh, crunchy crunchy movie. Uh, not much on here by way of special features, but you know it's a, it's a good movie nevertheless. Uh, 4K release of a new DC Universe movie uh, animated Justice League versus the Fatal Five. Uh, you know, one of the things that came up when we were talking about Endgame on Friday is um, why can't DC do what, what Marvel does? Why does DC keep tripping over itself? And why is Marvel having, you know, Marvel keep, every time DC trips over itself, Marvel makes gains. And uh, there was a moment when people are like, well, you know, let's see what, there was no Avengers movie yet. And there was certainly a Justice League movie in the works. And everybody was saying... Ooh, who's going to get the edge? There was a little bit of parody. Mm -hmm. Now there's no more parody. Yeah. The Justice League movie was a big uh, disaster. DC has backed off of the whole idea of the, the DC Extended Universe, and the Marvel Universe is a giant hit, and it's going to be the biggest film of all time. Well, so, they, I mean, they don't even have any actors anymore over on the DC they don't. side. They, they, Superman is gone. Bat Superman's gone. The, Batman's the actors, gonna be, Batman's gone. They're yeah. all gone. So, yeah, <laughs> Wonder Woman and Aquaman and, and Shazam have done well, but not that well. Yeah. 
Not, so, not comparatively speaking, and not, and not as a part of the universe. They did well as these movies that live by themselves. Yeah. So my question is this. You have aspects of the DC properties that do especially well. What Greg Berlanti has done on television with <laughs> Supergirl and Flash, Flash. And, and, and Green Arrow and, and uh, the, uh, what are they called? The uh, uh, Guardians of, of the, Tomorrow. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. DC's Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. Um, that's all really great stuff. And that's a connected universe in ways that the Marvel world universe is. Now, Berlanti, I think they're afraid to hand the reins to him because he was a co-writer on Green Lantern, and that didn't work out so well for mm. them. But I do think that they should consider the people who do these DC Universe animated films, find whoever is overseeing this, and mm -hmm. let them take control of the DC Universe the way that Kevin Feige did, because they get it. Yep. They're fans. These things are really, really sharp. They're well-conceived. Um, you know, if you Dude, elevate, they can't, they can't. They can't get it together. Look, they have. Why isn't uh, the kid who plays Flash, uh, Grant Gustain? Yeah, why isn't he the the, the why, movie Flash? Why isn't he the movie? You, you, if he's the movie Flash, I already like this movie better exactly. because I'm nuts about him. I know. Now, now I'm just pissed. I know. So you know, I, don't know. I know it makes no sense. Makes no sense. And I, I felt the same way when they when they brought Superman on to Supergirl. And here, you know, I'm hoping that they're going to bring in, you know, Superman. And yeah. they bring in some guy who doesn't even look like Superman. And it's a new Superman. Why would you do yeah, that? Stop doing that. Even if you brought in Dean Cain. Even if you went there. <laughs> right? Or the guy from Smallville. Like, give me a Superman that I'll recognize. Yes. Not just, oh, look, some some guy you dragged in off the street. Come yeah, on. Yeah, stop it. Would've, would've, you know, anyway, Justice League versus the Fatal Five is really, really sharp. Uh, it's it's well-written, really well-animated. Animated, uh, and uh, it, it goes into some really, really interesting places. The, you know, this is the only place I can go for my Green Lantern fix anymore is these animated films. A um, lot, you know, you, you, it's really, really interesting. And this is a female Green Lantern here, by mm -hmm, the way. You've mm -hmm. got to remember, Green Lantern Corps, lots of different lots Green Lanterns. Lots of different Green Lanterns, yeah. So uh, there's just so much that they can do, and these people know exactly what to do it, and uh, some really fascinating villains here, and, and you know, put the Justice League on their heels. Uh, Emerald Empress and Validus putting together this diabolical scheme. It's really very, very sharp. And I wish that I wish that this level of DC engagement could make it into the films. I yeah. really do. Yeah, yeah but uh, but uh, they're all just I know. separate really things. Really good looking 4K too, by the way. Not much else on here. I mean, some special features that are sort of standard. Uh, and there's one that's a bit of a tease. But um, now the, the, and the commentary is the commentary is good. But otherwise, see it for the 4K. Uh, this is a fairly creepy um, uh, nature-based horror movie that I have here to solve, loosely based on uh, these things that actually happened. So up in Canada, they, they, they started finding these really deeply deformed uh, frogs. Ew. More more than just the two head kind of things, just you know they're they coming. There's frogs, you know, obviously chemicals and you know things happening in the water. So anyway, they they took that sort of ecological uh, mystery and and wove it into this very scary sort of uh, a horror film. It starts with the frogs, and then the next thing you know, this it's a family, a, a mother and her son are out in the woods and they're investigating all of this, and they start to realize that it's not just the frogs uh, uh. that are becoming mutated, and uh, you know sort of speculation on where it could go, the wolves, to this, to that, uh. and is it possible that it can Happen to the people too. There's uh, a really creepy two-headed dog on the cover of this thing, and uh, you know. So what are you gonna do? Anyway, um, uh, a, a, a fairly creepy movie. Not much on the DVD, Blu-ray here, or this is just a straight-up 
Oh, this is a DVD. No, it's a Blu-ray. It's a Blu-ray. That's a Blu-ray. Yeah, Yeah, it's a Blu-ray. That's all we got. All right. uh, I'm going to do a few music things, and then we're going to go into some some docs. i got some foreign here. Uh, Maybe I'll do the foreign before we get into the docs. Um, So uh, some music stuff, a couple of things from Naxos. Real quickly, the uh, Johann Strauss Orchestra in Vienna performing a 50-year anniversary concert, which is lovely. I'm a big fan of Strauss, not just because of 2001, but the Strauss family uh, created some of the greatest waltzes of all time. I grew up with a German mother who loved Strauss and all mm. things Austro-German, and uh, the you know the, this is really some great stuff. So this was recorded uh, in 2016 in October at the Golden Hall of the Musikverein in Vienna, and it's wonderful. Uh, 15 different performances of Strauss classics, and uh, it's beautiful. You're going to want to just dance all around your house. It's really terrific. On a Blu-ray, the Vienna Johann Strauss Orchestra. And then there is also uh, Lessons in Love and Violence, which is an opera with uh, music by George Benjamin and uh, text by Martin Crimp. This is a modern opera performed at the uh, Royal Opera House in London, uh, directed by Katie Mitchell, and um, it's okay. Modern operas are not my favorite thing, um, but you know, this is these are the guys who wrote an opera called "Written on Skin." Modern operas kind of feel a little bit weird. Uh, I, I don't want to say anachronistic. That's it's the opposite of anachronistic. It's something old. <laughs> that, you know, this is something new that feels like it should be old. So whatever the antonym is for that, but it's very nicely put together, uh, and. Uh, it, you know, I, I think what the problem is, it's sung in English. Ah, that's what it is. You I, need your opera. I, I need, exactly, German opera is not my thing. Italian opera, absolutely. That's it. I kind of wanted to hear it in Italian. German, uh, yeah, not so much. That's a little bit rough. The Wagnerian. Yeah. I feel like they're yelling at me. <laughs> they uh, just always sound angry, even when it's, <laughs> even when it's about love. It's just, but Italian opera, yeah. So the, both of those are on Blu-ray. Uh, and then we also have a really, really cool... Um, DVD-CD combination here. Josh Groban, Bridges Live at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Josh Groban is not everybody's taste. I think he has a great voice. I like a lot of his stuff. It's a uh, show so voice. He's a, he's, it's a, it's it's a, a Broadway, show Broadway voice. voice. Yeah, Broadway. But he's done very, very well with it. And uh, this is lovely. Uh, you know, everything here is DVD. and uh, The DVD and the CD mirror each other for the most part. But it's a, it's a really, really great performance and a collection of songs. And he, he holds the audience without kind of embellishing it too much. This isn't like a Madonna or Kylie Minogue or, you know, it isn't one of those deals where it's just flamboyance and, uh, you know, Lady Gaga and all the rest of the stuff. No, he's he pretty much holds it with just the singing, and it's good. And you get some guest appearances on here, which uh, one of which is really, really terrific. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good, definitely good. That's a CD-DVD combo set. Josh Groban, Bridges Live from Madison Square Garden. Lovely. What, are you gonna do some of these docs? Yeah, you got some. P- Tim's got some PBS stuff. Uh, so yeah, let's 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 knock some of those out. I particularly enjoy. I particularly enjoyed this one uh, about Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride, I'm just me. Uh, Charlie Pride was. Um, ironically, we think of him as being uh, a black country singer that broke that barrier. Yeah. Now this is insane. If you grew up in the South like I did, <laughs> uh, the Midwest and South like that, you know there were black people doing country music all the time. All the time. So, yeah. so but, but it, it, there's this notion that Charlie Pl- Pride, you know, would. Porter Wagner and all yeah. this is old school country music. Yeah. You know, uh, that he's the only was the only one. He was not the only one. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, he's Charlie Pride and he was wonderful. 
Charlie Pride. I love Charlie Pride stuff. Yeah, and this is one, f- he, one of those. There are certain country voices that I grew up with, and I've never been a huge fan of country. But you know, in the pre Garth Brooks era, Garth Brooks was a guy that made made it okay yeah. for people who didn't like country to like country because, dude, he's like on the stage and he's he's bashing guitars. You know, he's got that he's, black hat. He's got that. Yeah, he's got a thing going, real ooh country thing. But um, there are certain voices that just they're they're like velvet and they just they just go right to your soul. And Charlie Pride had one of them. Conway Twitty had one of them. Uh, you know, there are just certain voices that are just really smooth, and I, I love Charlie Pride, and such a sweet man, too. Just yeah. a really wonderful, sweet man. That's great. But yeah, the star who broke country music's Colorberry. I guess it's a it's a good It's a hook. It's, it's a just, hook. It's just yeah. kind of true. No. Uh there there are there, actually generally speaking, there have never been any color barriers in music in the United States of America. It's true. Generally speaking. Not in jazz. Not in jazz. Not even hip-hop. Not even, not hip-hop. Not, I'm sorry. These things have always been just as, anyway. Yeah. Decoding the Great Pyramids. This one is about the Great Pyramid at Giza. Uh, the one of the last uh, surviving wonders of the ancient world. Uh, the, the, the Pharaoh Khufu's tomb is in this particular pyramid. And to this day, we have not been able to figure out how that tomb is so precisely set up and measured uh, to align with stars and all kinds of crap. They it's had amazing. none of the surveying uh, tools that we had uh, back then. It's just absolutely. So this sort of looks at all of that and, 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 and considers it from an engineering standpoint and point of view. It's not really in, about anything mystical or anything like that. But it's just really interesting stuff that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. This one is uh, mostly from uh, WGB. H out of Boston, uh, PBS documentary on Nova, part of the Nova series. Yeah. Uh, you want to knock off one of those? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I got a couple here real quick. Um, both of them kind of living in the same general place. Uh, from First Run Features is A Notes Arc by Mathieu Ritz, R-Y-T-Z. Interesting spelling uh, for the uh, French director's name. Uh, this is a brisk 77-minute long but very, very interesting uh, doc about the island nation of Kiribati, which is um, one of the one of the places that where climate change is not a debate necessarily. Mm-hmm. You can there are all kinds of debates about you know who's causing it and what's causing it and how much and how where and this and the other thing and it gets all into you know but seventy five percent of scientists but no and did not climate deniers and then the people in in London who've been running around like the woman oh, yeah. glued her breasts to the pavement yeah. in a climate protest. We're getting into just really weird place now. But Kiribati quite literally has been seeing the ocean levels rise around them. Mm-hmm. Who's causing it? What's causing it? Doesn't matter to them. All they know is it's happening. Mm-hmm. And they have to they have to deal with it. And um, they that may mean literally leaving the island and going somewhere else and seeing their entire, you know, many thousand year old culture ripped apart as they become refugees, effectively uh, environmental refugees around the world. It's a really, really interesting uh, look at this fascinating culture and this dilemma and uh, people who have just lived kind of on the edge of civilization for, for thousands of years and in like a paradise until it, it's threatened with not being there anymore. So mm. it's a really, uh, it's interesting. And the, the title comes from, uh, Anote's Ark comes from the, uh, the name of the president. Anote Tong is the, uh, the president of, uh, of Kiribati. So Anote's Ark is the, uh, is the documentary. It's, it's quite good. It's very, very well done. And then uh, Piripkura, The Last Two Survivors. Uh, this is about a tribe in Brazil and the last two people of the members of this tribe 
Brazilian uh, tribes and the Amazons have sort of been endangered for many, many generations. There is a an ethical question as to are you helping these indigenous people by kind of isolating them and letting them live as they have for thousands of years and continue to be primitive? Or is that really doing them a disservice? Would they be better served by somebody coming into the jungle and saying, you know, you could have running water and go to college? Uh, does that does that kill something? Are mm. you really helping them by not giving them that choice? There are mm. some really interesting questions uh, around that. But the uh, it doesn't go into all of those tangents here, but you're certainly led to consider some of them. And it's a really interesting uh, collection of uh, dilemmas here uh, with beautiful photography of the rainforest. And um, it is, um, you know, I, I mean, 1989 is the first time that this tribe was contacted. And... Um, they have to renew the status every two years mm-hmm. as to whether you're going to continue to protect them. So it's a, a lot of really interesting ethical questions here and um, a lot of problems, obviously, in Brazil that we don't consider here because this is not necessarily Yeah, and a lot of, of that politics. has to do with the fact that there are corporations and very powerful sure. people that want that land. That's true. Uh, and, yeah. and the resources on that land and, yep. and, and are not particularly concerned with those people yep. at all. Living Volcanoes. This is fa- absolutely fascinating, uh, PBS uh, Nature Doc. Um, uh, there are volcanoes all over Earth, most of them are alive, and they're becoming more and more active. Uh, around the world today, about 30 volcanoes erupt every day. We don't hear about it much unless it's one of those big ones, that big crazy one that erupted in Europe. Yeah. Or, or they're in, in some populated, or, or around some populated area. Uh, but the fact of the matter is some 30 volcanoes erupt every single day on Earth. I know. It's, it's happening. A, it's crazy. It's, it's all the time. Now, the thing about a volcano is this. They're supposed to erupt. They're not doing anything. <laughs> we think of them as this horrible. No, no. This is the way, this is the way Earth is actually made. Volcanoes make Earth terraforma. That's what we're made I, out of. I, I hate to put it this way, but, you know, when nature calls, nature calls for people and for the Earth. Yep, that's it. It's got to get rid of that stuff somehow. That's it. What it means is we have to start thinking about uh, that crazy eruption that was in Hawaii uh, a couple of years ago that just ran and ran and ran on for days. People in their homes, they're like, why are your home? Why did you build a house (laughs) on the volcano? In a lava flow. I remember Mount St. Helens. I I was in the Air Force. Uh, when that happened, yeah, only one only one person was killed uh, when Mount St. Helens erupted here, the Washington State, right? Yeah, and that was just—I mean, man—I was just like, really, a volcano erupted here in the yeah. United States of America? Yeah, and it wasn't like a—you know—the the, 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 the eruptions are different. Mount St. Helens was an explosion. It was an explosive that eruption. That blew yeah. the whole top right off of that thing. Steam, literally the top, like a, almost like a cartoon volcano. Oh, eruption. It, was like, it was like it was like 300 feet shorter. Yeah. after the uh, after the eruption. Yeah. Mini volcanoes sort of like blow out the side, and it's like yeah. a lava kind of flow thing yeah. that happens. So it's very interesting, man. Uh, watching that Homo Spacious is another PBS doc uh, that we're looking at. This one is simply asking the question uh, whether or not human beings will be able to adapt our actual physical selves such that we will be able to travel in space for long periods of time to get to places like Mars. You know, uh, there's, there is a, a manned Mars missions planned for about 30 years from now. Yeah. Uh, and there are all sorts of calculations that has to be done. There are those two twin astronauts, Mark something and his brother. Mm-hmm. And one of them spent uh, about a year on that space station out there. And they did that thing of where they measured them both and all of these yeah. different this, all the spots to see what, what... And there were all kinds of differences that happened. Brain size, their actual physical body. One of them, the one who was in space, got shorter. Yeah. Um, um, most of these things... we. We could recover from those. So it's a very, very interesting sort of question, scientific question here. Will human beings actually be able to 
uh, uh, venture out into space, you know, in that sort of Star Trek kind of way, or is this something that the human body is simply not made for, or will the human body adapt eventually to be able to travel out in space for long periods of time? So all of these things are possibilities, and I find it absolutely fascinating, every bit of it. That's, that's great stuff. Uh, Predator on the Reservation. Now, this is a frontline uh, documentary that was just absolutely devastating. So a fellow named Dr. Stanley Weber roamed around a number of uh, Native American reservations, including the Pine Ridge Reservation, uh, um, uh, as, as well as several others in South Dakota and every place, basically molesting young Indian boys. Oh, uh, this is this was a situation uh, uh, analogous to the Catholic Church situation that apparently analogous yeah. to the Boy Scout situation. Now, yeah. apparently men, if you get too many of them together, they just start doing crap. I, what the hell is wrong with That's us? That's why there are women, because when you put too many men together in one room, yeah. we, we make a mess of everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. Women just, you know, I, we just don't... <laughs> Just let the women run every damn thing, as far uh-huh. as I'm concerned. Um, anyway, this is a devastating document. It's only about 60 minutes long, but it's the, what's really devastating about this is that everyone was talking about this guy, Doctor Stanley Weber. I know. Everyone I was saying that this guy is roaming around. Yet he did. They 30 years, 30 years. Some of it has to do with the fact that it was happening on Native American yeah. reservations. So anyway, PBS Predator on the reservation. Got a bunch of really cool docs here, too. Never Ending Man, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, We were so privileged to have given uh, the great Hayao Miyazaki our Career Achievement Award by the LA Film Critics Association this last year. And uh, it's timely because this documentary recently came out about him and his extraordinary career. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful doc. I wish it was longer. I wish this thing was like two or three times as long. Um... It, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful look at a guy who has had, you know, it's only 70 minutes long. It could easily be three hours long, and it still wouldn't even scratch the surface of his contributions to animation. He is known, certainly, as the greatest practitioner of anime ever. Anime is mm. the school of Japanese animation. But it, it's, um, it, it gets into more than that. It's, it's about his philosophy of life and uh, about, you know, these, his announced retirement over and over, which never never seems to really happen. And, uh yeah. It really is. It's it's a look also at, at Japanese culture as filtered through one of its most iconic artists, and uh, it's just wonderful. It's a look inside the creative process of of uh, a very very distinctive uh, artist, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful just to see him drawing is such a joy. Yeah. You know, we see the result of it so often, but to to actually see him doing it, it's like witnessing Walt Disney all over again. Uh, it's a beautiful film. It's on Blu-ray and DVD from Shout. And uh, I just can't say enough about it. Uh, We also have a very, very disturbing documentary here on Blu-ray only. And uh, I don't really know how I feel about this. It's well done, I guess. It's from Magnolia. It's called Tickled. The tagline, it's not what you think. Yeah. So um, here's what's going on here. This is just so freaking weird. Um, the the documentary filmmaker here, uh, the, and there are two of them. There are two directors, David Ferrier and Dylan Reeve. But um, David Ferrier is the one who really kind of discovered this, and he saw something when he was just surfing the web about competitive tickling, and he thought, like literally, competitive endurance tickling, and he yeah. thought, 
what the hell is that? Who's so, competing, the tickled or the tickler? Yeah so, the, he re- yeah, so he just decided to inquire about this and opened up a whole weird, disturbing world that I kind of wish had been left underneath <laughs> the rock because I didn't need to know about this. And the problem mm. is that the, the, there is a... There's an actual industry, and much of it is right here in our backyard in Los yeah. Angeles. There's an entire industry around tickling as this weird kind of fetishistic thing, and they do tickling videos, and people buy these, and they watch people get tied up and tickled. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you people are weird. Yeah. I try to be as broad-minded as I possibly can. And you but got way too much time. I draw a line in some places, and this has got to stop. Pull this... yourself together, people. But you know what? Not as freaky as those bronies. N- no, that's that. But but th- but th- but the thing is, this even gets darker than you think. Like yeah. even at the point when you go, this tickling stuff is weird. Then it gets <laughs> criminal. Oh, then it actually yeah. gets criminal, and you go. I'm sorry, how much lower into the pit are we going to get with this stuff? This is crazy. This is like watching a hardcore with George C. Scott all over (laughs) again. This is, you know, just, I don't need to, it's got to stop somewhere. It goes into a very strange place, Tickled, a documentary. You have no idea that it's going to go there. Uh, The Long Shadow is a really, really good film. This was the Mill Valley Film Festival. And uh, this is... uh, this kind of goes into a, a place that we hear talked about on the news a lot, and it's become part of the political conversation with a lot of finger pointing. But nobody really kind of wants to to delve into a lot of the the present manifestations of white supremacy and racism and things of that sort as they as they really do exist as a legacy of nineteenth uh, century slavery. And uh, so you have two filmmakers here, both of them Southern born white filmmakers who uh, decide that they want to try to examine this from their particular point of view. And uh, so they they go deep into the South and into a lot of the institutions, the political institutions, uh, to see if there is still, you know, where the where the residue of the Civil War and, and the pre-emancipation, pre-reconstruction mindset still lives. And uh, a lot of fascinating stories that they find and a lot of very disturbing stuff and a lot of encouraging stuff, too. So it's a really, really interesting socio-economic exploration. It's an odyssey of sorts, like a philosophical odyssey. But it's uh, it's very, very good and um, could easily have been longer as well. But, you know, I like movies that are longer. Yeah. Tim, Tim wants <laughs> Avengers to be shorter. I want it to be longer. Anyway, uh, 87 minutes long uh, from Passion River. The documentary is The Long Shadow by Francis Causey. Mm. Um, interesting. Target St. Louis, uh, which uh, I'm from St. Louis. This uh, is your I, this I, is your backyard. You this, know this. This stuff. is my backyard, and I and I grew up, uh, you know, during this period when this was actually happening. The this that I am talking about is the, the U.S. Army. Uh, we all know about the Tuskegee experiment. Sure. Uh, that sort of thing happened all over the nation. Generally speaking, in minority communities, sometimes Latino communities, mostly black communities, uh, often in the South. Many of them we do not hear about. It. One of them uh, was a history of secret testing that the U.S. Army did with aerosol radiation tests. Yeah. On the poor black neighborhoods in St. Louis, North County, St. Louis, where I grew up and lived my entire life. Uh, They were doing this across my entire childhood. Uh, Aerosol radiation tests. Um, uh, It caused all kinds of havoc in the community. Cancer rates in that community were insane back then. Uh, Gigantic keloids that would form on people's faces. I mean, it was just... uh, Anyway, this is the reason why uh, sometimes we run into the problem 
of uh, folks trusting the government. So right now we're involved in a measles outbreak uh-huh. uh, in the United States. At but UCLA, at my, UCLA my, you, where, where I went school. to school. Yeah. Um, and, and why? We're, we're involved in the measles outbreak because people have stopped uh, vaccinating. vaccinating. We lost our herd, uh, herd uh, what do you call it, herd immunity. Why? Because there was a belief, because the government, why? Because of things like this. Yeah. And Tuskegee. Yeah. The, the, which, you know, the, the, the connections are, are made where they shouldn't be. Yeah. But nevertheless, it creates the problem that gives us measles right now. So yeah. these horrible tests in St. Louis are why somebody got measles at UCLA a couple yeah. of days ago. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And why, and why we've got outbreaks of typhus and yeah. things like that downtown L.A. Yeah. yeah, yeah true. Anyway, uh, a fantastic film. Only 67 min- minutes long. The director's a young man from St. Louis named Sean Slater, who I happen to know. Terrific. Learning to see the world of insects. So uh, I first became interested in insects. By the way, let me just go off off tangent a little bit. <laughs> I posted this on, on Facebook. Speaking of insects, this this profe- quote-unquote professor at Oxford, did you see this? Mm-mm. There's a professor at Oxford, a Korean professor at Oxford, who uh, apparently wrote a book in Korean, but somebody translated it, and now everybody's like, what are you? Where he (laughs) thinks that the Earth is presently, um, we've been invaded by aliens, and that there are four different types of aliens who are Mm. interbreeding with us. Mm. This is why climate change is so essential, because it's threatening their survival. That's why they're interbreeding with us. And that there are four different types, and one of them is very reptilian, and another kind is very insect-like, and they are the ones who give orders to the other three. Mm-hmm. This is so wacky. Do you realize that that is this the plot? This man teaches classes. That is the plot. That is the plot line of the Enterprise series in which Scott Bakula played the captain. Yeah. That, that, that's the plot. There are insectoids yeah. and, there and there, and there's a plot in there. So I don't know whether he's got stuck in that or what, but this is a little, oh my God. Anyway, though, apart from all that insect stuff, when I was a scout, when I was once in scouting, I went, I remember I got my etymology merit badge and I, got, I collected insects that would disgust me now. And I'm, you know, putting pins through the, the butterflies and the mantis and all the, whatever the, whatever it was that I was finding, cockroaches, who knows what. And my mother helped me a lot at the time, and, you know, it was good. I, I was very proud of my insect collection. Uh, and all of that came swarming back, swarming back. <laughs> very good. When I watched the uh, special edition of Learning to See the World of Insects by Jake Olman. And this was a, uh, a really cool South by Southwest documentary uh, a few years back. And this is on Blu-ray. It's spectacular photography of the insect world, really beautifully done. Uh, most of the nature documentaries that we get now, even the stuff out of PBS, they don't go into insects because people think insects are icky. Mm. But um, Ullman does not, and he goes right into the uh, you know the Amazon rainforest where insects are certainly bigger and gnarlier than anywhere else. And uh, just gives us a, a look at this amazing world. It's a totally different world, you know. They, the world that they inhabit is not the world that we inhabit, and it, it really is just wonderful and beautiful and and thoughtful on on so many different levels. And um, it, I, I, it's really really great. The now it's uh, Jake Ullman's, um, uh son, uh, Bob Ullman is the one who uh, who directed this, and uh, it, you know together they just did a, a great job, a really really great job, and uh, you know it's it's educational, it's beautiful, and it's uh, 
poetic and it's wonderful. Well, that's so sweet. Canine Soldiers, uh, the Militarization of Love. This is really just a lovely uh, doc about uh, the, the, the dogs, uh, the canines, and their handlers uh, in the Army and other services that uh, mostly go out looking for um, inf- uh, improvised uh, IEDs, improvised explosive devices. Um, in the Middle East and other places, um, here in the United States too, for that matter. But these dogs, uh, yeah. mostly German shepherds, who are born and bred uh, to this task and live with their handlers their entire lives, uh, and they're just brilliant. The, the film also goes into just sort of like the, um, how humans and canines uh, sort of uh, came up together um, and, uh, and, and why we have that particular sort of bond that we have with dogs. Uh, it's really just a, just a lovely film about, about you know, uh, soldiers and their dogs. So we got a documentary here called Eating Animals uh, by a filmmaker named Christopher Quinn, produced and narrated by Natalie Portman. This was at Telluride a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what this, this is based on the uh, the book by Jonathan Safran Foer, which is all about why we should all go out and just start slaughtering as many animals as possible and just eating them raw and live. And mm. it's a beautiful. And I'm so glad that Natalie Portman is on board with that because mm. I, I really like the idea of slaughtering animals. <laughs> I am, of course, joking. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the this is uh, this is about the um, the environmental impact of of meat eating. Now, uh, there's a little bit of a controversy about this. Now, a lot of people are are getting very resentful of uh, the climate change movement because it's no longer about lessening your carbon footprint by what you do with your with your car with your factory or you know whatever they now they're starting now there's a there's pressure to abandon eating meat Mm. Uh, like the people in London who've been gluing their body parts (laughs) to the pavement and doors are saying you know meat equals heat. Which a lot of people take. Well, there, whether or not you agree with it, whether or not you intend to change your life, it is an, there, there are some interesting facts associated with it. Yeah. And uh, look, I don't eat beef or pork. I haven't done so for nearly 30 years. Personal choice. I have no problem with people who do, but I will eat poultry until the sun comes up. Mm. I have no problem killing birds and eating them. Why? <laughs> because I've seen the Hitchcock film. I know that birds are our mortal enemy, yeah. and I'm doing my part. They're trying to kill us. Otherwise, chickens and turkeys will just overrun us. And mm. don't even get me started on pheasants mm. but that said um factory farming all these things that go into this and the use of you know hormones and antibiotics and all that it, it, there, there's a lot of stuff involved in the farming of animals especially beef that is uh, that is worth knowing whether or not you you choose to do it whether or not you care that it's worth knowing and it's a very interesting doc the uh, the, do- the documentary food inc kind of started this uh this juggernaut years ago mm-hmm. food inc was horrifying to me for about 18 seconds and then i went and had myself some some uh, chicken nuggets. We do um, forget. Yeah. My sister in law, however, became a vegetarian after seeing Food Inc. It yeah, that that so impact. Yeah, impact. An impact. Anyway, it's called Eating Animals. Uh, kind of a labor of love of uh, Natalie Portman, and uh, it's it's very nicely put together. Mm. The Wandering Muse um, is a film uh, about Jewish music in the in the diaspora. Uh, it basically follows uh, these performance of Jewish music all around the world yeah. uh, as they perform um, all of this absolutely extraordinary and beautiful, beautiful music, um, uh, much of which is, is, is uh, you know, highly religious and uplifting, uh, some of which tell stories, uh, others of which is just funny and sweet. Uh, it's really, really just a lovely, lovely film, uh, The Wandering Muse. Also have Donna Haraway, Storytelling for Earthly Survival. So Donna Haraway is a uh, is one of a number of very noted uh, feminist thinkers and writers 
who uh, has her own, obviously, very interesting ideas of all kinds of things, everything from, you know, technology to history and on and on and on. And uh, this, is a, this is basically just a very simple documentary that lets her talk about all of her favorite topics, everything from, you know, sex to history and society and the role of men and women in technology and on and on and on. It's, you know, she has an opinion about just about everything. Um, you know what? You're, you're, you may or may not agree, but she is passionate about what she thinks and she makes her case. And if you, you know, you walk away, you can at least be able to talk about her in uh, – in company with people who may or may not know about her. So it's uh, this is from Icarus Films Home Video. Just a, a portrait of a, a very interesting current thinker, and um, it's worth checking out. Uh, you know, she's got, she's got a lot of very strong opinions, this lady. Interesting stuff. The Bauhaus movement, which was a um, sort of architectural, designed, uh, aesthetic movement uh, begun in 1919, is 100 years old. And this uh, documentary, The Bauhaus Spirit, 100 Years of Bauhaus, uh, explores that long and fascinating history. Um, uh, the, the Bauhaus movement actually had a lot to do with functionality. Uh, it had to do with creating things that were beautiful and designed well, but worked, and worked well too. And it, I, I know you know a lot about this. No, I, I don't actually. This is why I'm laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing here while Tim's talking about this because I'm such an idiot. Like, <laughs> what it, so seriously, truly, there are things that I, I – look, I know a lot about a lot of stuff. Like, I could be a real jerk in a lot of party situations <laughs> where, where I'm like, ah, I know more about that than you do. And this will go on for quite some time. Oh, yeah, I know all about that. And I'm, I'm that guy. Until you get to things like Bauhaus, and then I'm the guy that goes, oh, that was a great band. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for decades, Bauhaus was a band from the '80s. It was a new age. It was a new age band, and then suddenly this this DVD comes, and I'm like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that band was engaged I know. in Bauhausian. Exactly. Uh, it's hysterical. So, it's really, really cool. Anyway, but when you when you look at the world and you see a whole lot of clean lines, yeah. uh, much adornment gone, you're looking at Bauhaus. Yeah, it's you, fascinating. You, you're looking at the, the work feel, of Walter Gropius. I feel like a whole new universe just opened up to me. <laughs> I've got to learn about this. It's really, really neat stuff. This is a wonderful documentary about that history and you know, and what it has meant in terms of the world of design. Uh, you've never flown on an airplane, any airplane. Yeah. It wasn't wholly and completely designed uh, in the Bauhaus. It, it's necessary for airplanes to That's work that so way. so interesting. Yeah. As opposed to how ornate things do. Think about the Victorian period. Yeah. And uh, all the flowers. and uh, Bauhaus is the exact opposite of all of that. Fascinating. Coming out of all of that. Uh, Among Wolves, a documentary by Sean Convey, was a uh, big deal at a lot of festivals. This really made the uh, made the rounds for for quite some time. Um, beautiful, beautifully, beautifully shot film more than anything else. Very, uh, very poetic in, in all kinds of ways, and uh, that's unusual because this is a documentary about a biker about a biker club. You know, uh, and it, not just any biker club, but a biker club that grew out of the Bosnian War, and um, it, it's just a, it's just a, it, it's a, it's kind of an allegory in some ways. What it is is it wants to look at all kinds of uh, social upheaval, especially European social upheaval and ethnic upheaval, and it chooses this particular group of people in this moment in this style of filmmaking as the prism through which to to analyze it, and. Um, it it, it, does, it like a, like any smart documentary about this, um, it uh, does not it does not necessarily go where you think that it's going to go. Where it goes is to a herd of wild horses, and um, 
it's this this intersection between these people and these animals and this place and this time and it just kind of comes to this really really evocative way of of looking at human nature and history and that, and that may sound utterly bizarre and impossible to reconcile but it really is a, a completely unusual film uh, entirely in the Bosnian language uh, it's about an hour and a half long but really a really a fascinating journey and you, it doesn't go where you think that it's going to go you just you just have no idea where this is going to go. It's really, really interesting. It's, it's very smart. This is a very moving um, a film, a uh, documentary, uh, about a young woman named Kara Tippett. Kara Tippett was a fairly noted blogger, uh, yeah. you know, about all kinds of things. A uh, young woman with a, a husband and a child uh, developed breast cancer. Uh, and, and it became fairly obvious that it was going to be uh, uh, terminal. And she just kept working and engaging in life and documenting uh, mm. that entire that entire process with an eye toward not being mel- particularly melancholy about all of it. The, her notion uh, was that she just wanted to sort of like leave a legacy of joy and love, and have yeah. everyone who, who who remembers her think about her like that, uh, rather than uh, in any other way. And this is just a lovely doc about that. Uh, it features uh, Anne uh, Voskamp, who was a mentor of hers, and Joni uh, Erickson Tata, another friend of hers, very very close friend of hers. So this is a movie. That's um, about a scary subject, but it's about how you can deal with that scary subject without without the fear being the overwhelming thing, uh, and uh, and and letting something else intervene. Um, so lovely. Uh, the long goodbye. The Kara Tippett's story. Uh, really interesting couple of films here. This is Imaginary Feasts and Mina's Recipe Book, Terrorism, ah. 1944. Uh, by filmmaker Anne Georget. This is the last thing we're talking about today on the show. Um, this is so interesting. This is about food and recipes as protest, mm-hmm. as uh, representative of the human spirit. It's really amazing. Particularly all the all the Yiddish rep- recipes, Jewish recipes, and food uh, written down, written physically written out by people in concentration camps That's it. as they were in these concentration. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So this is uh, this is all about the people who, and, and not just concentration camps, but gulags. Yeah. And Japanese prison camps and all, the, the practice of using recipes as a way of sort of preserving your humanity and mm-hmm. sharing it with others and passing it on and it's it's it, that's extraordinary that's the subject of imaginary feasts and then Mina's recipe book specifically focuses on one of those in particular um, and uh, this is from by, written by a, a woman when she was in Terezin in Czechoslovakia a Nazi concentration camp and um, what those recipes meant what they represented and you know, it's funny because a lot of this stuff is food that I would never eat. Yeah. But for some reason, I want to eat it. Like I want to make it. Once you know the story behind them, you yeah. go, "Oh my gosh, that's so imp- that's so important." I want to I want to honor this woman by by making that dish, even though in my in the I would never want sausage prepared that way. But damn it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to yeah. honor her. Uh, really, really interesting. So those two films here uh, together, and they're both short. You know, Mina's recipe book's only 45 minutes. Imaginary Feast is 70 minutes. It's a little over two hours between the two. Uh, not even two hours, really. It's about just about two hours. So, uh, really good. Imaginary feasts and Mina's recipe book. Uh, f- b- did, did the festival rounds too? Those were at the Toronto Jewish Film Festival and the uh, Berlin International Film Festival, uh, among others. So, Imaginary feasts and Mina's recipe book. Terra's in 1944. Good job, Androje. So with that, we are done this week, uh, and we will be back next week. Still no resolution to the ongoing WGA uh, mm. ATA battle, but uh, you know that, they, they say that could go on for years. I don't think it will go on for years. Months. And, and what do we mean by by, by resolution? I mean uh, the 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 WGA told their yeah. membership. 
fire your agents yep. at these agencies. Yeah. A good many of them have. Yeah. What else is there to do? I don't know. I That's mean, the, the agencies are mad and suing, of course. But yeah. but but that does, but the but the, the thing itself has happened. Yeah. Has it not? It has. So so now, I mean, I guess what we're gonna, the question is, will there be a resolution? And who knows? Yeah, because I'm I'm just not sure if I'm the WGA that I yeah do. Yeah. If I'm looking at those big agencies, yeah, we're not doing anything. No. We've told our membership what to do. The ones who want to maintain their membership with us are going to fire you, and that's it. And you can go be mad and talk to the judge, but you know, we, there it is. that's it. It's over. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye.